All right. Let's get that off the air. As much as I like Steely Dan, can't be getting sued by... They will sue. They... <laughs> Steely Dan will sue. They strike me as the type that... Uh, Would like the Lars ass. Ulrich types. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> the... If you used a note of one of their songs, they'd be in on that shit. In fact, <laughs> didn't they... Didn't somebody... Like do an interpolation of a Steely Dan song, and they like a rapper, and then they sued the fuck out of. I them? think it was Kanye. Was it Kanye? Yeah. Um, the uh, it was off the graduation album. Okay. But. Yeah. Why? What do you think that is? Why do you think some artists are so quick on the trigger, the sue trigger? They're just like fuck that shit. You can't. You can't use That's it. That's my intellectual property. And it's like Steely Dan's <laughs> like. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you ever you can like Steely Dan, but there's not a lot of method to the madness there. They they write songs about mixed drinks. That's <laughs> if you ever catch me using the term intellectual property in relation to anything I've ever created, please slap the fuck out of me. Now, yeah. <laughs> well, anybody has full permission to jack any of our intellectual property. Yeah, we don't believe in copyright law. Uh, Coincidentally, we also have never had an original thought, so uh, <laughs> take that up with whoever we stole it off of. Coincidentally, we're notorious plagiarists who steal all of our shit from shit already out there. All right, let's get these levels correctly. So, um, welcome to the show. Uh, today, we're going to have a guest on. Um, but before we do that, I want you to... Lay out. I me. thought you were going to say, I want you to do a thought experiment. <laughs> all philosophers love thought experiments. All libertarian right-wing philosophers they love, thought love thought experiments. I do too, you know? I think the my biggest... <laughs> my biggest I count myself among them. <laughs> my biggest struggle is being genetically a libertarian... Right winger, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'll be honest with you, you optic just optics. I even look like one. You look, <laughs> you look like a guy, a guy that would have a talk libertarian talk radio show set in the desert southwest. Yeah, you even have the white trash beard. Yeah, oh yeah, patchy. Not I do too. I don't know why I'm uh, casting aspersions, but well, but you gotta you you your look is more utilitarian, therefore more. Socialist, leftist. <laughs> you look a little more leftist than I do. I I, I look like I, I make paid eighty dollars for this goddamn sweatshirt <laughs> and leftist. Look. No, no, no. In the weird way that this works out, that's leftist. Okay. Me, I look like I I look like Glenn off of uh, Breaking Bad. Isn't that his name? I look like I make meth. Glenn, are you talking? About Isn't I thought that was his Jesse's. name. Jesse's. No, you know that you know that libertarian guy in like season three who Walt teams up with. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Was that his name? I think. I think that's right. Anyways, in the style of Let's true not retread that ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the style of a true uh, libertarian right winger, I I want you to lay out for the audience what you laid out for me. It was I think it was yesterday. You have to be more specific. <laughs> You're firing off conspiracy theories to me at a hyperspeed. But I'm talking specifically about... Okay, okay, so check this out. The NFL. So I I saw <laughs> some, you know, one of those goofy, like, left-wing memes that was like, uh, you know, 
basically just making fun of the Patriots for cheating and how the NFL needs like, uh, you know, like last year the Eagles, yet another symbol of right, you know, national of American pride. national pride. Right, yeah. you got the Patriots, Super Bowl, Patriots, the Eagles. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> Since nine eleven, before nine eleven, how many Super Bowls did the Patriots win? Zero, right? Go say. <laughs> okay. Oh. After nine eleven, they're getting ready to win their seventh, eighth, something like that. Seventh, I think. Right, S- seventh. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so well, I mean, the Rams could win, but like, let's let's call it what it well, is. Well, they've been to like nine, right, or something. The era of Trump, Patriots couldn't win. Oh, uh, here's the th- here's where it gets a little interesting. Patriots have played in eight Super Bowls. Okay. Okay. Do you know who the two teams they lost to were? <laughs> the only two Super Bowls the Patriots lost were to the New York, as in the side of 9-11 Giants. <laughs> and the other one was last year to the Eagles, like we discussed, uh, yet another symbol of national pride. And the thing is, they notoriously cheat and use very American tactics to get the edge. Spying. All right. Yes, uh, they do. You're right. They do rigging, cheat. rigging. They uh, are probably funded by the CIA or the FBI. Surprise me. Um, there is another element. Tom to this, Brady, though. super right wing. Made guy. in a lab. Made right? in a lab. The somewhere. guy was made in a 9/11 lab. In a 9/11 lab. <laughs> and it's interesting <laughs> if you think about this. Tom Brady was like a nobody, right? Like seventh round draft pick, like just kind of a Mr. Insignificant throwaway guy that goes on to be the greatest. Right, right. A little too convenient. A little too convenient. They made him in a lab, dropped him off at Michigan. <laughs> That's where he went to college at. He probably has no history before that. That was just to throw no us off. No memories. That was probably just to throw us off the scent, though. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, he's just a good boy from they, Michigan. And they implanted memories in his head. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. like, he has artificially inserted memories of, right. like, a childhood and his lost his virginity and... First kiss and everything. If you're sitting around with bated breath waiting for Tom Brady to show symptoms of CTE because he's fucking past 40 still playing <laughs> Not gonna have football. Because he was made in a lab. Made they made the lab. inside of his brain with those cushions they put on the inside of football helmets. You're damn right. <laughs> so, they, so. Said, they said, how do we give this guy the brain of a uh, woodpecker? You know, because a woodpecker's brain is insulated right. from the from the banging. Right, right. So Tom Brady, fact, first man with a woodpecker brain. Well, this kind of goes into what we were saying uh, with the Patreon episode over the weekend. Like, some things are just too damn convenient, yeah. you know? And um, in the era that we live in, where things are too convenient all the time, yeah, it kind of can feel like you live in a it can. simulation. <laughs> no, it can. No, I'm with you. There was another aspect to this, though. The way that you debuted it to me was... In relation to, I guess the Patriots were playing the Chiefs, correct? Yeah. For in the Super Bowl, is that who they're playing? No, that's who they played in the oh, yeah to the, the playoffs. Okay, the wild card game to go to. <laughs> <laughs> no, to go to the Super Bowl. Oh, okay, all right. I never understood the wild card game. Is it like third place? No. <laughs> it's not the time for that. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> well, I thought it was an interesting and compelling theory. It made sense. I think it's got legs. I think it's got legs. I think uh, it 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 
imparts truths to our. The only reason that they lost that Super Bowl to the Giants was because um, the Giants' backup quarterback that year was uh, Jared the Pillsbury Throwboy Lorenzen, <laughs> who's easily, easily one of the most fascinating people that ever lived. Why? Period. Why's that? The guy, too, my, I mean, he wasn't so like. The guy was like a superior athlete, but just struggled with weight problems his whole life. Right. Like, he almost weighs like 500 pounds now. Oh. So, not and great. Our, and lead. you know how last week I was bagging on Northern Kentucky and we needed to <laughs> drag all the rich people out and force them to the river? I do remember Jared this. Jared Lorenzo, one of the few good <laughs> bright spots that Northern Kentucky's ever produced. <laughs> well, we'll save them then uh, when the moment comes to drown the. Catholics of Northern Kentucky in the National Bathtub, we'll a.k.a. Have, we'll the Ohio have, River. We'll have the hefty lefty doing the honors. <laughs> Just, are you ready for your baptism, boy? <laughs> Man, that's, that's, uh, it's been a, it's been a crazy week. That little fucker's been, like, all over the news, like, went to the White House. Getting a book deal. <laughs> I made that up, huh? Probably will though. He probably I see some Christian book publisher will be like, uh, yeah, go to your local Martells. It'll be the, like the Colin Burpo, not kid that went to heaven. <laughs> Colton Burpo. Colton, whatever. Yeah, he died. I went to heaven. Yeah, which is that, that's another simulation thing. Like that, that's not a real name, Colton Burpo. Colton Burpo. <laughs> Wait, did you ever go to Christian bookstores when you were a kid? I used to love them, man. Yeah, I used yeah. to go all the time. I used to buy like. Uh, CCM CDs. No, we buy Audio Adrenaline and uh, I did too. And um, a cool Bible. Did you like, buy a cool Bible. I bought a cool Bible. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of cool Bible did you get? It was like orange and brown. It was like padded. Camo. Do what? Camo. Uh, no, but that would have been pretty tight. Yeah. There was a there's that place over in Wise that's a beauty parlor and a coffee shop. Yeah. And they have NASCAR themed Bibles there. That's funny you said it's it's a coffee shop slash beauty <laughs> shop and they sell NASCAR themed Bibles. But that's not their like that's not what reels you in. It's just like if you're here for the coffee or check out our selection of uh yeah. NASCAR Bibles. Well, you know, in today's economy, everything's everything, right? No. Like you can go into a hardware store and buy fucking dildos. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which plugs. hard hardware in their own way. When you really think about it, <laughs> um, so yeah, so that that's a uh, good good theory, Tom. Good conspiracy theory. Well done. I like the work that you put in there, um, connecting those dots. Uh, I've not heard that theory before, so good job. Oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> uh, well, today we're going to talk about another fascinating person, fascinating people. By that we mean some deeply diseased people. Deeply diseased. Deeply diseased people. I mean, to the fucking bone, fucking uh, flesh falling off the fucking (laughs) marrow, fucking just... Look at my notes. I wrote, rich people equals deeply diseased. Theme of season three, y'all, is we're going to introduce you to a different kind of deeply diseased rich person every week. And because there's no shortage of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, I read that um, I read that 
Did you read that thing in BuzzFeed yesterday, or I think it was earlier this week? About I, I don't read BuzzFeed more. They've been discredited after the, <laughs> um, you know, the latest debacle. Are they canceled? Is BuzzFeed canceled? BuzzFeed is canceled. No, I don't know. Some but. people got mad because of some story. I forgot what it was. I wonder which story. Was it the Michael Cohen thing? Yeah, Trump yeah, thing? yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's it. I never understood that. Uh, if I see Michael Cohen's name, my eyes glass over. And I don't. It's dude. just, it's just for me. Michael Cohen's kind of like, and even like Robert Mueller and stuff like that, are uh, like, kind of like, um, shit. I don't know. Like Bob Dylan, like somebody you should be into, but you just <laughs> don't ever think about their music, really. Right. Robert Mueller is like Bob Dylan in a lot of ways. <laughs> He's like, hey, man, we got to get to the bottom of this Russia thing. <laughs> you do a better Dylan than I do. Give me Bob Dylan and Robert Mueller. Uh, he's, okay. Um, Russian prostitutes peeing on the president and taking video of it, and it's uh, across Full Street. And... <laughs> I don't know why you don't pull Dylan out more often. It's your, I think it's your best one. You like that one? Yeah. You think that one's good? I, right. You're right. I keep it in the back pocket yeah, quite that's, a bit. That's your best one. Oh. Investigating the president. <laughs> Looks like he took a big fat turd on a, <laughs> <laughs> a hotel outside Moscow. God damn it. Oh, shit. You're right. I should break that one out more. Um... But no, I mean, I, I totally ignore that when it comes out usually. Uh, so, anyways, wait, that got me off track. BuzzFeed. Did you read that thing in BuzzFeed about um, the two guys that created the sort of conspiracy theory around George Soros in the 2000s to get Victor Orban, the Hungarian president, elected? No, but that doesn't strike me as... Oh, man. It's entry-level anti-Semitism to elect a far-right... Mm. Fascist government it seems, yeah, yeah, par for the course. Well, what, it's fascinating because the guys behind it um, helped get Netanyahu elected, also in '96. Um, they were like the sort of uh, campaign managers behind his campaign when he ran against Shimon Perez. Shimon Perez. <laughs> yeah, <you> saw... <laughs> I know. No... <laughs> Shimon, I know Shimon Perez. God. I know, but there's no way you knew he was running against Netanyahu in '96. There's no nah, way. <laughs> my first guess would have been Yitzhak Rabin, but I guess he was assassinated a little earlier than 94, that. 94, I believe. Yeah. I believe he was shot by gun down in the streets. Oh. Um, got a prosecutor, a special prosecutor case, bringing <laughs> it in front of the government and the whole nation and the whole state. So anyway, you, you kind of... <laughs> left me there. What was the deal about the BuzzFeed? The okay, so these guys, they, um, well, they, they, they came up with this this guy. His name is Arthur Finkelstein, and his friend, his protege, his name was something Birnbaum. I can't remember his first name, but uh, he was basically really close with Ray uh, Nixon in the early seventies, um, and Reagan, and he th and he practiced this thing. I think he called it like negative politics or something. I don't remember what the fuck it was. But anyways, he started this whole sort of like new kind of campaign in which you deploy the most negative moralistic shit about your opponent possible till you just wear people down in a sort of war of attrition to where like they they become so uh 
they become so, I guess, worn down and demoralized by the negativity of the campaign mm-hmm. that all they can do is vote for that person. So uh, Netanyahu was a good example. Trump was another one. Um, you know, Reagan. Like that, that like, and these guys pioneered that style. It's of the politics of demoralization. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. I uh, didn't do it service there, um, but they also to get Orban elected, they did this with Soros. They needed a bogeyman, you know. They needed a big bad villain, and the guy they picked was Soros, which fueled, you know, <laughs> this entire anti-Semitic like. And the, one of the guys, like the guy now, Birnbaum denies it. He's like, no, we didn't. We didn't mean for it to be anti-Semitic. Therefore, <clears throat> I don't regret it. I, you know, I'd do it again. Uh, deeply diseased. Well, I guess the point I was trying to make with that is, um, we need to start doing the same, but only against rich people, not in a anti-Semitic way or a conspiracist way or a globalist way or anything like that, but just on a one-to-one basis. And we're going to do that today with today's episode. Now, I think. <laughs> uh, the archetype we're going to be talking about today is the Enviro-Nazi. <laughs> the Enviro-Nazi rich guy. The Enviro- yes, the Enviro-Nazi rich guy. Uh, in particular, John Tanton, uh, who was, if you didn't do the reading, uh, is, now correct me if I'm wrong, Terrence, he's the head of Colcom. That, he gets money from Colcom Foundation. He gets money from Colcom. Okay, I thought he was the hmm. like the guy behind Colcom. We're going to be talking about a foundation called Colcom, um, and you know John Tanton is the 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 uh, you know shooter. Well, now he's like fucking old and retired and probably about to die. Yeah. But um, but specifically, <clears throat> who we're talking about is old American money aristocrats. Yeah. People who are so deeply inbred. They look like their faces are melting constantly. We're talking about the Rockefellers. We're talking about the fucking yeah. Carnegies. We're talking about the fucking, uh, the fucking, who else am I leaving out here? Who uh, else is one of the most silent families? Uh, the Melons. The Melons. <laughs> Literally is what we're talking about I thought today. the Carnegies and the Melons were kind of. Um, they were they were close confidants, but they were just I just totally. got that from the name of the school. <laughs> yeah. I, Good job. But I figure all these people kind of run together. Yeah, yeah. People who look at America and say, we've got to get the Jews and the immigrants out of here. Yeah, that's... They've got that kind of weird North North New England accent. William F. Buckley, transatlantic accent. Real authentic people. (laughs) You've got real authentic people down here. Well, uh, let's take five, and then we will be right back with our guest. This week, it is Brendan O'Connor. So... Don't go anywhere.
Can you hear us okay, Brennan? I can, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Well, uh, today we're joined by a longtime friend of the show. First time caller. First time caller. Uh, <laughs> Long time first time. That's right. Brendan O'Connor. Um, Patreon Patreon supporter. Patreon supporter. That's right. So go to the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Join our friend Brendan here. Uh, Brendan, I guess you could say for the last two years or so, I mean, if not more, I mean, you've been writing sort of pretty extensively about the far right uh, in, in this country. Um, but, you know, you write about a lot of other things, too. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, if you've kept up with his work, you—I'd say you're pretty well versed <laughs> in the uh, in the movements and developments of the far right. Would you say that's accurate? <laughs> uh, I do my best. I do my best. Uh, well, I know, I know a thing or two. Yeah, yeah. Just compliment yourself a little bit, you know. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. <laughs> none of that around here. Well, so the reason we wanted to have you on today, Brendan, um, is because we wanted to tell a story. We wanted to tell a very interesting story that sort mm-hmm. of aligns with um, the things that me and Tom have experienced in our sort of day-to-day lives as activists where we live. Um, but, you know, but that also brings in some of the things you write about. Uh, na- namely, uh, environmentalism and Nazis? What? <laughs> the, the intersection of what? Nazism and environmentalism. Right, right. What? Strange bedfellows. Say more about that, Bryn. <laughs> yeah, so so I um in my in the course of my travels across the uh across the American far right, um I have come across a uh a particular sliver of the the uh far-right donor class where over the course of the past half century or so there's been a notable convergence of um people who are very concerned about the environment very concerned about conservationism and people who are also very concerned about uh what in polite language they call population control right and lot <laughs> like and uh what most of us would probably understand to be eugenics right or or nativism um this kind of deeply racist anti-immigrant um sentiment that these things get these things have have gotten kind of um it's a heady brew. It's a heady brew totally. of, um, of yeah, of, of 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 concern for the environment, concern about like the number of people, uh, and then that immigration um, is a kind of uh, they see this as as a kind of X factor um, that the more immigration there is, the worse that is for the environment. Right. Um, yeah, and 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 there's there's a, a particular a particular set of people who really. Um, hold hold this hold this to be self-evident yeah so um if you're gonna save the rare green-breasted mango hummingbird <laughs> in wisconsin we gotta get the mexicans out it's just uh, no this, this just can't have take... one without the other yeah well, you, you, yeah yeah you joke but that's literally kind of the case right it's um you uh so you recently wrote this piece um that it was in the the website called sludge correct mm-hmm. um the article is called <clears throat> greenwashing hate anti-immigrant coal foundation funds dozens of environmental groups 
So I guess let's just start out, um, you know, who is the Colcom Foundation? Uh, you know, where do they get their money and what do they fund? So the Colcom Foundation um, is based in Pittsburgh and uh, it was for a long time, um, it's a private foundation and it was the kind of primary funding vehicle for a woman named Cordelia Scaife May, who is a, a, an heir or an heiress uh, um, to a branch of the uh, Pittsburgh's famous Mellon family um, and the Scaife Mellon and Scaife families, um, and the Colcom Foundation was was her um, her private funding vehicle for where she, as a philanthropist, um, is what she used to give money to the causes that she believed in. Um, these causes included conservationism and population control. <laughs> uh, yeah, and. Um, <clears throat> She, over the course of her life, developed a very close relationship who is now kind of understood to be the uh, intellectual architect of the contemporary anti-immigrant movement. He founded um, a number of think tanks and nonprofits that Cordelia Scaife May then funded. Uh, over the course of her life and then after her death in i think 2004 she put she didn't have any kids so she put all of her money into the colcom foundation it added up to um almost half a billion half a billion dollars for 441 million dollars altogether um that is now just churning out churning out funding um for these anti-immigration groups but then also the, the vast majority of the funding goes to these anti-immigration groups. Um, but then also a lot, uh, Colcom gives a lot of money to uh, environmental groups, most of which are sort of uh, apolitical, like try try to, um, you know, keep a narrow focus on environmental issues, but some of which actually do, do actually have like, uh, uh, convey a like broader progressive message right um yeah and 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 this this dynamic is something that i was interested in exploring and that other act like uh, activists and, and other journal like I, i'm not the first person to kind of come upon this information um but yeah this is uh this is uh this is what this is what we call a contradiction yeah it's interesting because a lot of the organizations um well, not a lot, but, you know, I was looking through the major grants um, given by the Colcom Foundation, and it's really crazy because at least three of them... Uh, We've worked pretty intimately with. Yeah, yeah, I'm very, you know, very well aware of the people that work in the organizations and know them almost on a personal level. Um, so, it, I mean, it just goes to show you that, like, a lot, you know, and I sort of talked about this in the essay I wrote about nonprofits is that like the constant like drive to get funding and uh, to actually bring what they consider to be progressive change into the world, um, that 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 drive becomes compromised at some point down the road because at the end mm. of the day you're just taking money from you know billionaires, millionaires, and billionaires who have their own agenda. And um, and their agenda is either just to 
protect their money from being expropriated through taxes or <laughs> or to uh you know try to reduce population you yeah. know and to purify the country you know i don't know it's interesting when i was reading this i you know at at first blush you know to the uninitiated it kind of seems like you know environmentalism and this sort of uh, nativism and all this stuff aren't really compatible but i was thinking about it just like on a local level like the biggest figure in our town that sort of casts a shadow over the environmental movement and you know all these the arts communities and all this stuff is this guy harry cottle who mm-hmm. was you know oh to yeah. a lot of people not really super well known but was kind of the first guy that like shone a light nationally on like issues of mountaintop removal, coal mining, and like you know the sort of shabby conditions people were living in as a result of, you know, just the generations long um, hammerlock that the coal industries had on you know Eastern Kentucky, Appalachia in general. Mm-hmm. And then toward the end of his life, he had sort of abandoned all hope in his people, and he's you know had this liaison with William Stokely, the famous eugenicist. I think. It was at UCLA, maybe? Yeah, I think so. Or somewhere like that. And when I was a kid, you know, like four or five years old, Stokely came to Letcher County, where we're based out of, and they wanted to do this program. They were doing like a, a focus group thing of sorts in the basement of the library to see how many people would be interested in getting sterilized if they were paid to do so. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, and so a lot of these, and this is like, and this is a guy that's still venerated in the environmental movement today in Appalachia, is quoted often. I was just at a Sierra Club conference, I were and uh, and like, you know, when I say I'm from Whitesburg, that's you know the first thing that clicks in these people says, "Oh, Harry Cottle," and I'm just like, mm-hmm. well, a lot of environmentalists um, and environmental nonprofits and people that work in them, um, it's kind of hard to generalize, but there is this sort of you know, obviously you have the progressive people who have a pretty good understanding of ecology and have a pretty good sort of framework, you know, for who's actually destroying the environment. But then there's like um, people like, you know, Cordelius Cafe May or Tucker Carlson or whoever who say that like the people that are actually destroying the environment are, are poor people and mm-hmm. immigrants. And, mm-hmm. and that's where they're coming at it from. And so... Um, you know, without any clear lines of demarcation, you can easily see how that can seep into, um, you know, because the environmental movement is largely just structured around nonprofits and maybe the Green Party, you can easily see how that can um, sort of bleed into uh, those places and institutions. Yeah, I, I mean, and it, it's funny that you that you brought up serialization because actually one of the one of the things that Holcomb Foundation funds is a uh i'm still trying to like learn more about this but they basically they fund a group that does sterilization research um because this is something that they want to encourage um and 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 yeah and i and i mean like this history is super the history of all of these things are kind of super complicated like i mean like another kind of parallel example um that you're reminding me of is like Today, like we think of Planned Parenthood as this kind of like paragon of like progressive, um, of progressive values, um, of feminist values. I mean, we also know that's kind of complicated by like what we've learned recently about their labor practices. But like historically, 
Planned Parenthood like had close ties to the eugenics movement because yeah. the eugenics movement in the United States was not in like in the first half of the century was not something that was um, uh, limited to the right. Like every <laughs> there were lots of people that thought that eugenics sounded like a good idea, and it and it, like we still kind of live with with uh, the legacy of that in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, Margaret Sanger, who you know basically founded Parent Pl- Parent Planned Parenthood, was a good friend of the Mellon family and of Cordelia yeah. Scafe May. And I was reading this um, obituary of Cordelia Scafe May after she um, passed in 2005, and they said that in her living room she kept a portrait of Margaret Sanger, and on her bumper sticker or on her Mercedes she had a bumper <laughs> sticker that said "Stop the Stork." oh my god yeah so i mean like these people early on were very you know consumed with the idea of population control yeah well and another thing that is just crazy to me you know earlier as you were talking um i just need to say for the audience earlier as you were talking you cut out right as you were talking about john tanton Mm. um and it just cut out his name so i've just you know people were wondering who we were talking about we were talking about this guy named john tanton who is a eugenicist and a Nazi sympathizer, and he receives a lot of money from mm-hmm. Cordelia Scafe May, May's um, foundation. But um, she is a very fascinating person, and I told I sent you a message on Twitter that um, is you know this thing that we've been joking about on the show for a few weeks is that <laughs> rich people are deeply diseased. They're so she, weird. She is the prime example. <laughs> She's <laughs> deeply diseased. <laughs> <laughs> so so weird, and and the okay. So there's a thing. There's a couple of things I want to talk about with Cordelia Escape May before we get into the particular. <laughs> Lay it on me. Lay it on me. <laughs> the first is that um you know it's amazing to me how much philanthropy is supported and tied into old wealth in this country. Like you know, the Mellon family and the Carnegie family and the Rockefellers, like yeah. these are these are, are America's aristocrats. Like the the and all very much the subjects of conspiracy. Yes. <laughs> well, and they're all true. And, and they're all true. <laughs> they're yeah. All true. <laughs> it's like the general contours are absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and it's like I said to you, it's just like American Habsburg shit. It really mm-hmm. is. And so that's this really th- crazy thing. Like we have this idea in this country that like. Uh, you know, we are anti-aristocratic and the, you know, the foundations of our country is egalitarian. We don't we didn't co- carry over the nobility of Europe. And that's just not true. I mean, most of philanthropy now comes from just a few families, you know, mm. and that money just sort of like seeps out, trickles down in many ways. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so the Mellon family that she is was an heir, heiress to uh, made their money in uh, the, you know, the famous Mellon Bank in Pittsburgh. They also had. They also made a lot of money in uh, Alcoa, which you know, if you live down here, Alcoa is a huge name because they mm-hmm. have several aluminum plants down here in East Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, and you know, they made their money in a lot of different ways. But one thing that I th- found really fascinating about Cordelius gave me, it's fascinating on a terrifying level, is that she funded the American distribution of. A novel called Camp of the Saints. You ever heard of that? I sure have. Yes. It, it is basically the Turner Diaries. It is um, yeah. it essentially it's it's about it's written it's a French novel. It's written about like the decline and fall of France 
as a result of population overpopulation and right. migration. Yeah, it's yeah, immigration specifically. Exactly. So yeah. it, it's like a foundational text of It's Steve Bannon's favorite book. Is yeah, it really? That's, that's where I had heard of it mm-hmm. from. That's I didn't mm-hmm. even know that. She she brought that book to the United States. Yes. Like she is singularly responsible <laughs> right. for for that book being published in in English in the United States. What yeah. do you call those intrusive species? Oh, invasive, invasive species. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. She brought it. <laughs> well, that's actually an interesting point because one of the links you uh, made in your article was to the, um, I can't remember his name now. Is it maybe Michael Phelan or Miguel? F- he wrote the, uh, Matthew Phelan, who wrote Menace of Eco Fascism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about like, you know, <clears throat> invasive species is this like thing that like a lot of these anti-globalists kind of rally around now the ones that like on the right have a sort of anti-capitalist critique it's like yeah. they you know they're saying like oh the environment is being destroyed because we're bringing all these things over here and you know diseases and everything else and it becomes an inroad for them to build a sort of anti-capitalist alliance on the foundation of environmentalism but their view mm-hmm. of it's incredibly fascist thing mm-hmm. Anyways, um, so you we know, have, yes, we have we have that to look forward to. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so you know, she okay. So you know, that's one thing she did. Another, you know, she's given a lot of money for uh, several. I just want to read some of these groups: Council of Conservative Citizens, Californians for Population Stabilization. Um, she given a lot of money to this guy Samuel T. Francis, who is opposed to quote all efforts to mix races of mankind, um, and has given a lot of money to, as you said earlier, this guy Dr. John Tanton. And so I want to talk a little bit about him because he's incredibly important to what's going on right now with the government mm-hmm. shutdown, with the wall, and with mm-hmm. Trump's immigration platform. And so, yeah, just talk a little bit about him, you know, the money that he received, his agenda, the groups that he is behind and how that's related to Trump. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the short version is that he uh, he he founded um, he founded a ton of different organizations and, and a lot of them have. The, the one one that you mentioned is Californians for population stabilization. Like they have these kinds of names where it's uh, like seemingly kind of innocuous. Yeah, there's um, one that's like Center for Immigration Reform or something like that. It's like yeah. So so the the three big ones are the Center for Immigration Studies. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Federation for American Immigration Reform or Fair mm-hmm. and Numbers USA. Um, and two of those. Uh, Center for Immigration Studies and, and Federation for American Immigration Reform have the have the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center as identifies them as as hate groups, which now CIS is suing the SPLC over, which will be interesting to see how that turns out. Um, <clears throat> but these groups now um, they they were for a long time kind of on on the margins of. Uh, Republican Party politics because immigration politics in the United States has has really changed a lot like over over the course of the past century and even over the course of the past 30 years yeah um, and they started exerting more and more influence kind of um, really in the wake of as, as a reaction to I think the 
massive uprising of documented and undocumented immigrants in 2006. Um, like when there was all of this, there, there was increased energy for um, immigration reform, CIS, Numbers USA, and FAIR capitalized on that figuratively and, and literally um, to provide the policy framework for reaction and, and, and for backlash. And they were involved in um, killing the 2013 comprehensive immigration reform. And now, uh, now um, in every federal agency that touches immigration policy, former staffers from these think tanks and nonprofits are serving as political appointees. So these are people who are really helping to shape and carry out uh, the Trump administration's immigration policy um, over the course of the, as, as we have come to see it over the course of the past two years. Yeah, there was one article you linked to that was, uh, <clears throat> I was reading it and it was, um, it's fascinating because I didn't even know about any of this really until, you know, I read your article and started like, digging into this. Um, there was there was one article that you read about how the line between Trump's policy and the policies of these anti-immigration groups is just blurred. There's really no distinction anymore. So like a, a lot of the things that have been normalized just in the last couple years, like biometric tests and, uh, you know, increased militarization and all this. Obviously, this was going on during the Obama years and everything. But a lot of these things that have become sort of normalized in the realm of policy just began in these far right you know, fascist uh, think tanks, organizations, NGOs. And mm -hmm. this really speaks a lot to the failure of liberals and Obama, too, because it's like, you know, by not uh, building any kind of base that could counter this, they've really just, and more than that, just like actually implementing the same fascist policies, just with a nicer face on it, they've really just helped to normalize these things. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think it, it it can't be overstated enough the like <clears throat> uh, the willingness of Democrats to capitulate to the right on on any number of things, but specifically on immigration. I think really reveals uh, how. How many of the premises they are willing to grant, um, namely that like the border is something that needs to be defended, right. or something that need like that that there is <laughs> that there is this place that we that we call the border, and uh, it requires uh, 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 fortification. Um, of some kind, whether that's literally in the form of a wall or in the kind of, I mean, the, de the, the Democrat, Democratic Party's version of the wall is just like drones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's functionally the same thing in terms of, uh, well, it, 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 it's functionally the same for the people who 
people who are um, trying to apply for asylum, people who uh, are have been displaced um, and 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 are trying to immigrate. It's fun. It's it is. To be fair, it is functionally different for like the white nationalist base. Um, like there is a function of like they want the wall to exist because it has symbolic resonance, and 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 that's not nothing. Um, but yeah, like there, the, but there is still this kind of fundamental agreement that like immigration needs to be controlled and the border needs to be enforced, um, and 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 that's like. Uh, it's not so much a weakness as of the Democrats as they just think they just they agree. Right. They think that that's true. Well, and it's funny. It's like right literally like an hour before we started recording this that, you know, it was in New York Times had this story about how the, the Democrats are willing to give Trump even more money as long as there's not a wall. You yeah. know, so, it's like Tom was joking, like not a cent more than five point seven billion. <laughs> so. That's so yeah. crazy. But, you know, one of the things that I thought it was interesting about your article is that um, so the consequences of this and of these policies and of this sort of like normalization and uh, these other things is, um, you know, it's fascinating that Cordelia Scaife May was from Pittsburgh, part of this very wealthy Pittsburgh family. And, um, and you know, you fast forward a, a few years and, you know, her, the headquarters of her foundation are, as you say, just five miles away from the Tree of Life synagogue uh, that um, Robert Bow Bowers yeah. uh, did mm -hmm. this, you know, killed 11 people and injured seven more. And so, um, you know, it, it just it just goes to show you how this funding apparatus, this large sort of, um, you know, group of in nonprofits and individuals and everything it has real world consequences and mm -hmm. you know and i thought your piece was interesting because it uh you know it just showed perfectly how those consequences literally just play out down the street mm -hmm. i don't know it's pretty it's pretty bleak um <laughs> yeah it sure but, is <laughs> yeah but you know but the but the thing is about these about these foundations and uh you know about colcom specifically and about the nonprofits and everything that their message of environmental protection and conservation and everything is that they themselves don't even really believe it they'll on one hand they'll be like well we care about the environment and they'll they try to paint this picture as if immigrants are making america dirty you know like you had that quote from tucker carlson where he says i actually hate litter which is one of the reasons I'm so against illegal immigration. It produces a huge <laughs> amount of li litter. Yeah, it's so absurd. So, like, that's obviously, they tell on themselves, obviously, because, like, that's what they actually are trying to do. They're trying to paint a portrait of the immigrant that can easily be demonized and that people can sort of, uh, you know, rally around and against. But on the other hand, as you point out, I'm just quoting from your article. Approximately $91 million of Colcom's assets are held in private hedge funds and venture capital firms, many of which invest heavily in the fossil fuel industry. And then they've, you know, they've got more than $8 million in stocks and bonds and extractive and energy businesses. So they don't actually believe in this environmental protection stuff. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's all... It's smoke and mirrors. Yeah, uh, as as far as I can tell, right. Well, it's it's um, you know, it's an interesting 
I don't know. It it's it's fun. It's funny because like you know you you forwarded me the article and I was reading it. And I was like, oh, you know, like, um, you know, little did I know. It's like I'm so naive and ignorant. It's like I didn't really know the extent to which the far right and environmentalism was intertwined. But mm-hmm. in a war world that is you know becoming more uh, is becoming warmer. It's becoming you know, it's displacing more people as a result of global warming and climate change. Um, you know, these things are more pertinent than ever. They're more relevant than ever. And so, you know, I think it's important to point out, you know, where they're getting their money and and also to point out that people that are sensibly on our side are taking from money from them as well. And that's an indictment mm-hmm. on the nonprofit industry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and I mean p- part of what's part of what's weird about this is that like <clears throat> like it would I think it would like it would be going too far to say that like uh you know these like kind of environmental nonprofits are um you know like supporting some kind of white nationalist agenda by virtue of having taken this money like I don't really think that that true is that 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 is true as such and i mean like you like you guys know as well as anyone like the kind of bind that groups like this are in where like you know where where they are like if somebody comes to you and like has money to give you like you're gonna take their money right 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 um especially for especially for something like environmental work but like what what this kind of shows to me and then like the Matt Phelan's piece, the menace of Eco's fascism uh, shows this really well. And then um, uh, another reporter, uh, Gabby Del Valle wrote a piece for the nation that shows, I think from like from a slightly different angle that like the groundwork absolutely exists for a like reconvergence of like far right politics and with grounded in like environmentalism with like a kind of anti-capitalist sheen and like there are people on 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 the european far right and the american far right who are like it may be, it may be the I think is the kind of thing where it's like the conditions for it aren't quite right yet. Like we haven't quite gotten. There I don't yet, know, man. But... Richard Ojeda announced he's going to run for president. That seems <laughs> the, like a I mean... perfect fit for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. So I, I, my my point is that like it, it, you know, like the 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 stage is set, but yes, like, right. no, but but nobody has. I was going to say that nobody has walked onto it yet, but like. Maybe fucking Richard or Jenna is, 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 is <laughs> It just seems man. like you know, you know, you vote for Trump and right, yeah. right. It's right. weird that yo, that shit is so weird, man. Oh, he's such an opportunist. Uh, yeah. Well, without a, you know, it's it's kind of complicated because like a lot of rich people uh, just want to protect the environment because they, you know, they want a place to vacation. You know, they want they're horrified by. The mountains being torn down and you know they they 
want to do something about it. It's got nothing to do with the people that actually live there. They'd rather protect yeah. salamanders and birds and everything. <laughs> and, um, you know, and during the Friends of Coal years, uh, during the years when there was this incredibly reactionary campaign to demonize environmentalists, that's the image of the environmentalists they, you know, glommed onto mm. and, and that they put out there. And so then they were able to sort of fold the entire liberal worldview into that. And um, so you would literally talk to some coal miners who would be like, I don't have a job because of a fucking salamander. Like, you know what I mean? It's just right. like, and, and you know, and, and I obviously care about the salamanders. I care about the environment and want to protect it. I mean, I was an environmentalist for years. I still am. But... <laughs> I was for years. <laughs> Not <laughs> articulating myself well. But you know, you're, you're that, a recovering. Yeah, I, I am. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because right at the end of the Friends of Coal era is when the environmental groups really had to. And that's, I mean, that's kind of really how the just transition stuff in Appalachia really kicked off because right. then they realized, oh, we can't be the salamander people. We have to start putting emphasis and start caring about what's going on in these communities and like jobs and all this kind of stuff. And then, yeah, you know, mm. but then it was, but then it was pretty much too little, too late. Um, and the way that they did it was tried to do it was through markets, but, but yeah, without an environmentalist vision that's not grounded in, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know, people, <laughs> community, uh, mm -hmm. then yeah, that's going to produce some really bad stuff. And, um, you know, if you are an environmentalist, you know, you, you've just got to be extra wary of that. Keep your eyes peeled, I guess. <clears throat> yeah yeah um so you know I, I did you have anything you wanted to add tom or ask or contribute no i was going to plug in there i forget i think i missed my crack to get in there <laughs> uh, say again i was i was <laughs> mr crack i missed my my lane i'm sorry uh i'm sorry we were talking about <clears throat> the point I was going to make was you see people like just these mega rich people like like the the people that run Duke Energy and stuff like the gas companies yeah. starting to funnel money into anti-coal causes and stuff like that. And it's like, mm. I forgot where that fits in in this discourse here, but we had a little. Well, it's kind of like the Colcom thing, giving money to environmentalist causes and at the same time, having an asset portfolio and a stock portfolio filled with the know. hedge in their bets. Yeah. yeah. Well, yes. yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, Exxon, like, is doing the same thing. Like, I mean, if if there's if there's one company that is uh, more responsible for catastrophic climate change than Exxon, I don't know what it is. But now they are like, they're hedging their bets. Like, they're investing in like green green energy and like green infrastructure. But as you say, like it's still dependent on the logic of markets and the profit motive. And like, it, I, I think it, you know, it's clear to anybody on the left that like that is always going to bring you back to the same place where, you know, you're, you're looking to make money and like, that's just we're going to end up in the same cat catastrophe that we're trying to get away from unless until you break that logic. Right. No. Well, it, the interesting thing about it is that like when rich people want to 
<clears throat> you know, conserve things when they want to protect the environment and everything. It's just this really bizarre sort of um, cognitive dissonance because it's like you realize that the environment, you know, is the way it is because we extract resources for profit. There's no, there's, that's, that's all there is to it. It's like we take mountains apart to get the coal <laughs> out to burn it for profit. And so that means it's just rampant. It's, and it's totally tied to markets. And so it's just like rich people trying to actually protect that is, um, it's not going to result in anything. You know, mm-hmm. it, it might result in a few conservation tracks and stuff like that, but it's not going to actually um, solve the problem. And so in that sort of contradiction, that's where sort of fascists can step in. And, and you know, people like, you know, Cordelia, Scaife May and other people who can say, well, OK, so then the problem is poor people. The problem is immigrants. Mm-hmm. We can do something about that and we'll put millions of dollars to it. And, um, you know, through the sort of decades long process of that, then you get this guy Trump trying to build a wall and inciting all this, you know, hatred towards immigrants and other things. It's mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's uh, just got to stay on your toes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we all have to vote. <laughs> That's right. You got to get out the vote, man. That's right. Got to get out the vote. GTF. Don't forget to register to vote. Yeah, don't forget. <laughs> vote Ojeda early and often. Oh, no. Jesus Christ. A, no, I probably shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of leftists would run with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how he slipped through the filter like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, you know, that's, I think that's pretty much everything I wanted to to, to cover. Um, you know, there was one other thing, and this, is, again, just shows you how ignorant and, and, you know, I don't know, I guess focused on other things. There's just one other thing that I thought was pretty fascinating that I wrote down um, was one of these groups, the Federation for American Immigration Reform, um, took a lot of money to you know, make videos and stuff about people who had been killed by immigrants. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the campaigns they really ran with was um, for, what was her name, Kate? uh, Kate Stanley. Yes, yeah. You know, and so for a while there, they were calling the wall like Kate's wall, and they wanted Kate's law. Is this the one like her parents stepped in and was like, no, quit using my daughter as like your football or whatever? Yeah, yeah, I think... Her parents is that the one that's most recent? Like maybe a couple months ago, it was. That that was more recent. Kate, Kate, Kate the Kate Steinle incident was, I think, in twenty seventeen. Right, I think oh, you're right. Yeah. Little, yeah, I don't, I don't know that her, I don't remember if her her parents weighed in on it. Yeah, what's well, interesting because I didn't, I hadn't even heard of this, so I started reading, and you know, you've got Richard Spencer and all these right, um, you know, Nazis and white nationalists and everybody. Um, just pouring all kinds of, you know, time and resources into this campaign. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the way that it mirrors, you know, certain elements of how they demonize Jews and Nazi Germany and everything, it really just, it's so disturbing. It's so truly mm-hmm. disturbing. And, um, you know, it's, but the thing about it is that, you know, through reporting like yours and, and other people who point this out is that, like, you can see where the money comes from and how these sort of campaigns and things get started. And um, 
so you know thank you for all your hard work brendan you do a very good job fine job it's scrambling my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you you would have to be superhuman for it not to scramble your brain, <laughs> which uh, only Tom here is, is part superhuman. That's yeah. That's why I'm so excited to talk to you, Tom. Oh, stop. stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I I don't have much more to add. I just want to tell everybody to go check out um you know Brendan's work. You've also written a lot for other sites, you know, uh, Splinter, right? And mm-hmm. um, where else can people find your work, Brendan? Oh God, um, I'm not sure they why why they would want to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I uh, I mean, so I'm freelance. I'm freelance now. I, I was at I was at Splinter for a while. Um, uh, I mean. What's, yeah, your twi- like, what's your Twitter follow handle? Me on twi- follow me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe go find Brendan at the happy hour uh, meetup of young uh, socialists how, and Sean how, McKillop. How dare you? How, <laughs> who do you think you are? You son of a bitch. Oh, man. That was the bleakest thing I... I think I might have read this week. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty. Boring. I mean, so I mean, I, I, this is really weird, and th- this is completely off topic. Um, but like, no, I, we just, time I, just wanted, I just want to, I just, I just want to like push a little bit of a counter narrative here that there are some really interesting, there are really interesting things happening in, uh, uh, uh amongst media workers, like people who work in media young people who are coming to understand themselves as a class and like as people who like sell their labor yes whose labor is Um, exploited yeah and 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 you know like that like to me like as i mean full disclosure this is something that i'm like very involved in (laughs) um but like that's very exciting and i think that's really important and i think that that's like way more important than like politically for i think it's way more important politically than like stuff like what gets written about in 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 538 um because like you know when when people who and and to be fair like they're like most of the people that work in in media in new york city are like downwardly mobile like upper middle class like come come from comfortable backgrounds not everybody far from everyone but definitely that's like probably the, i would venture i guess it's the overwhelming majority but like when those when those people come to understand themselves as workers like that changes the way that they write about the world yeah and it changes the way that they like understand the things that are happening outside outside of new york city um and so like media people get a bad rap but like and 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 fair enough um because there's a lot of really terrible we're like we're mostly pretty terrible (laughs) um (laughs) but but like um i just want to like and i don't know if any of them are any of them are listening or or if if any it, like, I just want to like acknowledge that uh, there there are good there's good organizing happening in the media world and and hopefully in the long run that that will um, start to change people's consciousness. Yeah, you're building class consciousness in your you know you're coming together to struggle against 
you know, this very basic fun, you know, fundamental fact of our society, which is that you have a manager and his interests yeah. are not yours mm -hmm. and he will fuck you over, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. the uh, first chance he gets. And, you know, it's funny, um, you know, right after I got fired for the essay that I wrote, Tom was like, you know, these nonprofit workers need to sort of look towards what y'all are doing in the media and sort of unionize in the same way. Like, that's a, a very good you know, model and a very good example of like what nonprofit workers should do as well, because it's very similar. I mean, it's not the New mm -hmm. York media, but it is like your sort of structure in, um, you know, in political economy. It is very similar. Yeah. You're of the sort of professional. And we all have in class. common. We have no calluses on our hands. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, for I'm, sure. Dishpan hands. I'm, right. Right. I'm glad you threw that in there because uh, that's something that I think a lot of our listeners um, need to hear, whether they work, you know, in the media or a nonprofit or, or wherever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Brendan, we won't take up any more of your time, um, but this has been a really fun interview. We'll have to do it again. Yeah. I'll come, I'll come back and talk about electoralism. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we always you go guys, back to when we're right. dry on content. <laughs> we get a lot of mileage out of that. Yeah. Are you against it now or are you still, are you still for it? Um, I, I am against it, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. Like, I think that it can't, you know, I think that it can be a good place for the working class to gain, make gains, okay. get them gains. Uh, but Lord Jesus Christ! <laughs> but I don't think that. Um, look, this like we have got to uh, as the left, we have to be able to see a society beyond what we have, and um, and you know, I think the problems in front of us are so immense. They're so profoundly immense that, like, just tinkering with them and trying to reform them aren't going to do anything. We need revolutionary transformation. Uh, if electoralism can get us there, you know, and if the working class wants to use that to get us there, then I'm all in. And I think that, you know, communists, people that consider themselves communists need to try to figure out a way to build a revolutionary consciousness within that movement. But if the working class is not interested in that, and if electoralism does not make us, you know, point in that direction, then we need to fucking abandon it and, uh, you know, I don't know, build a, like I said, a revolutionary class consciousness in the yes. working class. I'm going to walk in here one day and have a Bernie 2020 shirt on like, like Hulk Hogan when he went NWO. <laughs> Terrence just going to have a coronary. Yeah. I, I mean, I just need to update my spreadsheet on what does Terrence think about voting this week. <laughs> like, sounds like right now it's like maybe. Yeah. Is I it mean, is it Bernie bitch? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Say it say it right now who you're voting for. Oh man, this is so embarrassing that I uh voted for Jill Stein the last two elections. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. That's my, so metal. My protest <laughs> votes. Yeah, I fucking have crystals and live in a tiny house <laughs> uh, you know if you know whatever if bernie's the candidate i'll fucking vote for him but i'm not gonna i think i think this is kind of uh it's like there's a difference between like punching one in for 
somebody and then like going and beating the bushes and you know well mm. like i was talking to tom the other day like, like everybody's going to fucking vote for bernie you know right. I mean, that's like like well, i was talking to tom the other day and what i said is that um if they'll let us in if you know the sort of <laughs> our revolution or whatever wants to let us in if they'll have us as guests then it is our duty to try to you know, carve out a space in that movement that is revolutionary, that mm. is highly skeptical of this nation's institutions and electoral institutions and processes. Um, to the extent that the working class is interested in that, and you know, if they show interest in Bernie, then we absolutely have to do that. But we, th it is not our job to build the case for him. I'll, I'll say this anecdotally, and this is a little bit building the case. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anecdotes, right, strictly anecdotes. Laid on us. Laid, laid, laid on us. So my mom, my mom just retired. She worked for the city of Wattsburg for almost thirty years. This sounds like a stump speech. <laughs> kind of is. Thomas so is I'm going to challenge Hal Rogers for Kentucky Five. Yeah, I don't know years. if you knew this, but he served on city council. Man, he ran elections. So, and I lost right, two more after right. that. So my mom worked for the city of Wattsburg for almost thirty years. Single parent, never made more than thirteen bucks an hour. And she retired in May and has had to go back to uh, cleaning offices to earn a little extra money on the side. Uh, she's on Medicare, but as it turns out, Medicare costs a little bit every month, even in retirement. So I think that's something we need to talk about with Medicare for All and all that stuff. And so I was talking to her the other day, and she brings up to me unprompted that she's hearing that Bernie's going to run. And breaks down in tears and says, "We got to get behind it." <laughs> so, I don't know. I, you know, if 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 well, if that's a source of hope for people, that's a source of hope for people. How do I say no to that? <laughs> now, Tom's mom is crying. <laughs> Look, it, it's like I said, we use that situation to our advantage. You know, I don't think that. Um, you know, I'm incredibly concerned that if Bernie does win, it'll wind up just repeating 2008 and we'll just keep on this same sort of process that we do where they get an office, they sell us down the river the first chance they get, whatever. Um, you know, I'm not one of these people that's like the people for Bernie want jobs in his campaign or administration or whatever. I mean, you know, we got to have at least some amount of good faith as we engage in all this. But I, I just um, I have concerns, and I think that uh, I think that <laughs> I think that working people are smart, and if you can if you make an honest effort in the space that his campaign creates, to to criticize the fuck out of it and about the whole process, that could be pretty advantageous for us. And so um, I, I I don't I do not condone it, but uh, but I am going. It, all about using it cynically. He wants plausible <laughs> deniability if, <laughs> if it all goes to pot. That's what it is. No, I have always hated presidential elections. I'll always look. I'm always the ang I'm always going to be the angsty 16 year old. So mm -hmm. you're always going to have concerns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm always going to be a concerned citizen. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but anyways, I need to work on articulating that a little better. So, uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I, I got you. Tweak it. Okay. I, I actually, okay. I, before we wrap up, I have, I have a question and and I, and this is, a, this is a sincere question and I'm only a little bit embarrassed to be asking this on the record, but I want to get you guys on the record. Yeah. About okay. It. All right. Nah, fuck. 
Y'all. Y'all. What do you think? <laughs> wow, I have a lot of thoughts. This is one of my favorite subjects. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you talked about this on the pod before? People... Sort of. Sort of. Oh. Okay, so like I'm from right, so like I'm from New Jersey. I went to college in Ohio. Now I live in New York. I refer to people as y'all. Okay. I would refer to a group of people as y'all. All right. Because it. Oh my god! I just heard my girlfriend say, "Oh no." <laughs> uh, that's it's how you. A good gender neutral plural. It is second person pronoun. Right, right. Rolls off the tongue. You're right. It does. It's fun to. It's fun to say. <laughs> I didn't grow up saying it. But but you know I I feel like I feel like I uh, I feel like I own it. Yeah, yeah, okay. What? But uh, what? Do you, what do you think about that? Uh, Tom, maybe you want me to go first, or do you want to go? Go first? for it. All right. <laughs> you know me. Uh, I, you know, always have to dismantle sacred cows, and uh, <laughs> I think it's hilarious if people in Canada use y'all and whatever, whatever pisses off the people. Uh, the y'all stars. The y'all stars, as me and Tom call them. I'm all for it. And so, uh, yeah, if people in fucking Saskatchewan want to start using y'all, I think it's hilarious. Y'all's definitely went mainstream. <laughs> it, I think... I think You were into y'all before anybody else was into well, y'all, no, but you're not glad. necessarily. Not necessarily. I'm not, not saying that. What I'm saying is that, yeah, you're right. I think in terms of gender neutrality and all that stuff, it's good. There's a phenomenon in this sort of, like... Um, you know, me and Terrence refer to it as the all-star movement, but it's like sort of this, like... Um, <laughs> <laughs> this new South thing where, like, all these James Beard award-winning restaurants that pay their dishwashers $2 an hour and, like, they want to, you know, they're reviving the cuisine of the Geechee peoples of South Carolina mm. that were brought here to work the <laughs> rice and sugarcane fields and all this shit. And those people do something I call the gratuitous, y'all. Yeah. Where they'll just, like, it's you virtue know, like signaling. try to just inject it as much as they can, in a sense. And it just sounds so jarring to me. Like, to me, a good yeah. y'all should sound like the intrusive R that English people use. It's just like, it just helps the sentence flow better, you know? Yeah. The what? You know, like, the English people have the intrusive R. Yeah, help. Do, do, do that for me. So, like, if, if you're an English person and, like, a word in, you use in the middle of a sentence ends in A, you'll put an R on the end. Yeah, yeah. Like, like America. Or, or, or they'll say Obama. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ob yeah like Obama. Obama. Ob yeah, Obama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. A good y'all should kind of sound like yeah, that. Okay. Just like it should be, it should have a utility, I think. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah, no, it, it is, um, there is a, a bourgeois movement in the South. Uh, of course, like I said, me and Tom have identified it. We've called it the All Star Movement or whatever. It's entire gun culture. Yes, it's it's mm. entirely bourgeois. Um, mm. So if the working classes want to use y'all, uh, that's great because I think it probably pisses off the bourgeois. But they want to use it for their own sort of like holler cred because you got to realize the All Stars want more than anything. They want holler cred. They right. want to. They want to be able to be like. Oh yeah, no, I'm I uh I'm from East Kentucky. Like, you know, my my great 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 grandparents are from East Kentucky anyways. Right. And so that's sure you are, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> they want to be real authentic people. Real authentic people. This. They want to be like Cordelia Scaife May. It's just so funny earlier when I was reading about her, I just kept saying 
I just kept saying her name in that voice to myself. We've got to get the Jews and immigrants out of this country. We've got to purify it. (laughs) (laughs) Wash the streets of the litter with real authentic people. (laughs) Um, No, yeah, no, I, you know, y'all. I I support you using it, Brendan. You have uh you have my full support and uh, yeah, right. if anybody gives you any scuff, you, just send on the mail. You have the triple right. stamp of approval all right. on that Hell one. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I've ever wanted. Yeah. You know, I we're all about smashing culture anyways. It's like uh like I said Tom told Tom, like the only governmental appointee appointment I ever want after the revolution is I want to lead the Appalachian uh, Regional Commission. And just, uh, you know, bust people's doors in and steal their fucking, uh, you know, what, cast iron skillets and banjos. and Just my, 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 my program of Appalachian culture eradication. <laughs> oh, man. Um, this, we're talking real revolution hours, baby. Yeah. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get you set up. We'll get you <laughs> set up right quick. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us, yeah, Brandon. Yeah, man, it's fun. It man. was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah let's do this for again sure. sometime soon. Yeah, let's yeah, do I hope again. so. Maybe even in real life, we might be coming up there in Mayish. Yeah, if all, yeah, oh, if all goes according to plan. Right, right. All right. Um, and earlier, I missed your Twitter handle. Could you tell the audience once oh. again what that is? I, I would, I would love nothing more. Uh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's at underscore. Grendan with a G. Okay. G-R-E-N-D-A-N. Great. All right. Well, you can find Brendan on Twitter, uh, where you can find all of us, because that's where we're imprisoned. That's where we live. That's where we live. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway. See you in hell, you're out, motherfuckers. (laughs) We'll see you later, Brendan. All right, y'all. See ya.